good. If you're ready for some word here today, then uh, let's do that. Get out your Bibles. If you have a Bible, get it out. If you don't have a Bible, don't get it out. Uh, if you have a phone, look us up. Look up the Bible on the, on the internet and uh, find 1 Timothy chapter 6 today. <laughs> Y'all still like the bumper? Is it? Yeah. Bumper still okay? All right. First Timothy chapter 6, we've been teaching a series called Fight Training for the last seven rounds. And uh, today I want to continue uh, this series. It begins in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 12. By the way, congratulations to those who got baptized in water today. Hallelujah. Come on, the Lord is reigning. Baptism is a powerful thing to experience after salvation, right? Our kids are going to camp today, and uh, they're going to have a great time. Snow, snow camp, is that what they call it? Uh, <laughs> hopefully their weather is warm enough <laughs> in the mountains. Praise God. All right, back to our subject. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. Paul writes here, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Praise God. So there is something, uh, one aspect of the Christian life is defined as a fight. All right? It's not all passive. It, uh, faith is not just about accepting what comes to you and trusting that it's all in God's hands. Okay, I know that's presented sometimes, but that's incorrect. It's inconsistent with many verses, including this one, that reveals that some things you have to fight for. Okay, we're not talking about a flesh fight, a fist fight, a sword fight, a mental fight. We're not talking about a marital fight, a sibling fight. We're talking about a faith fight here. And in other words, we have opposition. Uh, there is an enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, wants to keep things away from us. And we must fight with faith in order to obtain. The way this works is we first discover what belongs to us, and then we use our faith to obtain it. Okay? Everybody say, I can, I can. Use, my faith use my faith to obtain, to obtain. what rightfully belongs to me. Now, I'm talking about spiritual blessings. I'm talking about the realities of God. When I say spiritual blessings, I don't mean intangible. Because the blessings of God start in the spirit, but they end up in your body, in your mind, in your bank, in your marriage, in your job. They're, they're real tangible blessings, okay? Uh, faith, though, is often misrepresented. Um, people speak of faith. They use the word F-A-I-T-H, but sometimes means something entirely different from what the Word of God uh, has to say from what Jesus meant. And if we're supposed to, supposed to fight a, a faith fight, yet we don't know what faith is, we're going to lose that fight. Amen. Let me give you three examples of what faith is not. It is not, number one, synonymous with religion. Okay, I'm not teaching how to win a religious fight. Okay, <laughs> hallelujah. Everybody okay? <laughs> Sometimes it's, it's, it's said about individuals, maybe when someone passes away, they'll, uh, at least in the, you know, the secular media and stuff, they'll say about a, a person who was well-known, they were deeply religious. Or they, they, had a, they had a deeply held faith. That kind of language. 
Does anybody like that? I, I'm not real fond of that. Uh, if any of you are here when I leave, when I go to heaven, or maybe I'll outlive all you. I don't know. Uh, uh, but, and someone describes me as having a deep-rooted faith. Say, blah. <laughs> Say, no, he had a walk with God. He had a relationship with Jesus. <laughs> it wasn't deeply religious. It's like, blah. I just don't ever see that language with Jesus. He never, you know, he would commend people at times for having great faith. When he would see them step out and do things, he never said, wow, you just have a really deeply held religious belief. If he didn't speak that way about faith, we should not. And the reason for that is we, because we are misunderstanding or we will must misunderstand the power and the function of faith if we put it in, in, in those terms. Okay? I want to understand this faith fight with the real substance of faith that God used when he created the universe. That, that, that Jesus used when he ministered to people. That, that we use when we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. This is the same substance. So it's, it's not that, synonymous with religion. Number two, it's not a crutch for the weak. Faith is not a crutch for the weak. Let me say it this way. Faith doesn't work for weak people. Uh-oh, here's what I mean by that. If someone uses faith, that means they are strong. Faith does not exist in the realm of weakness. It is a source. It is, it is strength by itself. In other words, someone who is going to going to deal with an opposition, a battle of some kind in their life, and they choose to believe God's word over what they see and feel. They declare the word of the Lord independent of what others say, of what circumstances say. You can't describe that as a weak person to me. That's a person who's strong. If I see someone struggling, yet I hear their, the voice of faith coming out of their mouth saying, I'm coming up and I'm coming out. I'm coming over the top because God is on my side. I believe his word and it shall be just as it was spoken to me. I'm saying, you're not a weak person. You're a strong person. Okay, and so it's, again, often misrepresented because the day you believe is the day you leave weakness. And then number three, it is not a, faith is not a coping mechanism. It was not just, it was not designed or given to us just to help us manage a difficult situation. I'm just going to survive. My faith is upholding me to serve. No, it's intended to put us over the top and get us victory, not just enable us to make it to the end. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So sometimes people, they mean, they mean well when saying this. They're just using the wrong word. And, and the more you grow in, in, in God, the more you grow in the knowledge of, of, of his word, you start to recognize the distinction between different subjects. It's like some in our day, they slap the word grace on every subject. That's only one subject. Very important, but it's not, the, it's not everything. Faith is also important. So is love. So are the promises of God. So is covenant. So, I mean, there's so many different things we should learn. So why, when we're in a certain situation, we know how to respond. It's, it's like... It's like the mechanic who doesn't have the tools for the job. And they're using wrong tools to do certain tasks. 
I'm not a mechanic, but I've definitely used the wrong tool before. <laughs> Meaning I made the job much more difficult because I didn't have the appropriate tool that was necessary. How many, how many have hit a nail with something other than a hammer before? <laughs> yeah, that didn't always work out really well, huh? <laughs> you have the right tool, then you can get the job done. And so that's why we need to understand what our hammer's for and what our screwdriver's for and what our faith is designed to do in life. Praise God. So. Uh, if you would, I want you to turn over to another place today, and uh, we'll stay there the rest of the message. It's Numbers 13. Numbers 13. So that's towards the beginning of the Bible if you're new to the Scripture. Um, and many of you are probably familiar with the account that we're going to look at today. It's, it's, it's part of what took place when the Israelites came out of Egypt and the slavery that the nation was in for so many years. And God delivered them. They came through the Red Sea and they were headed to the promised land, the land of Canaan. So they had that journey there. It was only supposed to be a couple week journey. Uh, ended up taking 40 years. And that's because of what we're going to read. <laughs> uh, but in the middle of that situation, there's some very important lessons to, to be learned. The promised land for them would represent the benefits of our salvation for us, okay? If you've received the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you've, you've left Egypt. If you've been baptized in water, you've gone through the Red Sea, okay? And now what's in front of you is the blessings of God, is the promises, the benefits of the covenant. It's, it, it, it's freedom. It's, it's all the other perks of salvation. Remember, remember uh, the psalmist wrote, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And talking about forgiveness and healing and deliverance and, and, and these type of things. And so uh, we, we want to enjoy the benefits, not just in heaven, but while we're here on the earth. So we have to, in essence, go to our promised land. So let's read about this in Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel from each of the tribes, uh, from each tribe of their fathers. You shall send a man, every one a leader among them. I want you to notice that language there in verse 2. The Lord said, Which I am giving to the children of Israel. What is he giving? The land. Canaan's land, the promised land. He said, I am giving. Many, uh, many translations read it this way, which I give. You send a person from each tribe in there to spy it out because that's what I'm giving you. I give that land to you. He wasn't deciding, should I? I'm thinking about giving it to you. Tell me if you want it once you go in and see. No, he said, that's the land, that's yours. That, that's the land I, I, I give to you. Now, I want you to understand the principle. There is a big difference between giving and receiving. It is entirely possible for God to give something and us not receive that something. That would be true with us as well. You can give someone a gift. They cannot utilize it, receive it. He is giving them the land, but they also needed to take the land, receive the land, obtain what he was giving them. Let me, let me uh, uh, explain this principle even further. Just stay there in, in numbers, but let me read to you 
1 Corinthians 2 and verse 12. It reads here, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Did you see that? Let me paraphrase. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit so he can tell you what I've given you. In other words, God is saying, you have a bunch of blessings, benefits, uh, promises from me, but you don't know about them. So I'm sending you the Holy Spirit and his job is to tell you what you already have. Now, if we don't understand how spiritual matters work, we, we might think, well, certainly if God gave me something, I would know it. I, I mean, right? If he gave me, I would know that I have it. If I don't know that I have it, then he hasn't given it to me and I'm going to, you know, it's on him. See, that's opposite. I know it is that way in the natural world, okay? If someone gives us a physical object as a gift, we know that, he, we know that they've given it to us. We know when it lands in our hand, we feel that, Spiritual things are not that way. God gives, and it's very possible we don't even know that he gave it to us. It's very possible then, if we don't know that we have it, that we never use it. Someone could live their entire life loaded with gifts from God and never use them because they don't know, they don't know they're there. Say it out loud with me. Say, if I will, if I will learn to listen, learn to, listen to the Holy Spirit... I will find out what God has given me. Yeah, because he's there for the express purpose of revealing the work of God in our lives. And so God may have given you something that you don't even know about. Praise God. But just because God's given something doesn't mean there aren't necessary steps to obtaining it. Necessary steps to enjoying it, to receiving and utilizing it. Listen to this verse. This also from Numbers 33. Remember, uh, we're reading Numbers 13. It, was, it wasn't until 20 chapters later that they went in. And when they were going into the promised land, here's the verbiage used. It's really the same. It's why I'm using it. 33:53. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it, for I have given you the land to possess. See the language? God says, I've given it to you. For what purpose? So you will possess it. Just because he's given it to them doesn't mean they're going to possess it. That's why he's telling them, you have to go in and get it. Now, if we'll, if we'll think the same way concerning other gifts from God, he has given, but our job is to take them, to obtain, to possess, to make use of the promises. Praise God. Another, another biblical way to, or a word that we use sometimes is called appropriation. Take and make use of it. That's our job. God's the giver. I need to find out. What has he given me? What do I have that I don't know? Oh, I have one of those. Woo. What? I'm healed and I don't even know it? I've been using the mirror. The wrong mirror. I need to use my new mirror. Whoa, look at me. And you find out you're healed and you didn't even know it. Hallelujah. If that's a new concept to you, I get it. 
But you'll learn how to take things out of the realm of the spirit and make them manifest in the physical realm by thinking a certain way. And by acting that way. Okay, back to Numbers. Chapter 13. Now he listed all the names of the people. So we'll jump down to verse... Uh, verse 17. 13, 17. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests or there are uh, there or not. Be of good courage. Bring home some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. And he read the whole story. They came with these grapes hanging on poles in between them. They were so massive. So uh, that's what he told them to do. Let's skip down to verse 27. And they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. I could almost hear them talking and their voice went down as they spoke. The more they spoke about the land, it went weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. Why do I envision it, go, it, being, it being that way? One, because of what they're about to say. But two, they're describing the land and not talking about the amazingness of it, but talking about big people. Large, gigantic people in huge, fortified cities. And they're basically setting up their next statement of why we can't get it. Why we shouldn't go. And this is the language of unbelief. We should note it that this is how unbelief speaks. It always talks about the obstacle with reverence. It speaks of problems as being large and massive and then diminishes God's word, God's promise. It's like the person who puts the butt in the wrong place. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Instead of problem, 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 but God. It's God, 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 but problem. In other words, the problem is the, is the cancel outer, if you will, of God's word rather than God's word canceling out the problem. It's the language of unbelief. Think about it in our day. Disease often gets spoken of with great reverence. That's a deadly one right there. That's the C word. That's this or that or, uh, or that virus from China, you know. Uh, and people would speak with reverence. Oh. In other words, be afraid. It's powerful. And there's, it's disrespectful to the Lord. When we see problems in this world and speak with great reverence and yet 
we make light of his promises. We feed on the negativity all day long. We listen to those who say, it's big, it's bad, it's horrible, it's a big problem. And then God says the opposite, and we say, yeah, I guess. We're learning the language of faith or how to throw a good punch. <laughs> how to obtain what the Lord has, has, has provided. This is a great example of what not to do. But the next verse, that's a better one. Verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. He acknowledged the problem. He wasn't, you know, as we say, hiding his head in the sand, burying his head in the sand. He said, yep, there are some big people. There are some fortified cities. We have the word of the Lord. Let's go get it. Let's rise up and go take this. That's the, van the voice, the language of faith speaking there. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against these people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land to which they had spied out. By the way, bad reporters still exist. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even mean it in that way, but it's fine. There, there's always gonna be someone with a bad report. A negative report, why you can't, why you shouldn't, why you should just sit back and just play it safe in every situation. So it would behoove us to ask the question about whom we're listening to. Whose voice are we hearing? All right. Not everyone who has a, has a YouTube channel should be listened to. Only us. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm not, not just us. I'm just saying be discerning. Because not all voices will inspire your faith. Some will crush it. They'll tell you what you can't do, what you can't have, what you don't know, and, and it's just negative. See, but isn't, isn't one of the keys and one, one of the wise statements in life, there is a statement that I, I can't quote it exactly, but in essence, it's people who learn what to change, what they can change and what they can't, and to have discernment or wisdom to know the difference. I think there's wisdom in a statement like that. But here's the thing. Faith people believe much more can change than the average Joe. Most people think so many things are off the table, it can never change. It's just, we just have to accept it. And I think the realm of, of accepting things is much smaller than most people think. There's so much more that can change. Paul, Paul spoke of it this way. The things that are seen are... are temporary or subject to change. The things that are unseen are eternal. They're permanent. That's why we base our faith on the, un, the eternal unchanging word of God. And so they listen, they listen to these spies. Again, we're in one of these verses here, 32 in the middle, saying, the land through which we have gone uh, as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, who, who came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Here's the key. Here's why they complained. 
Here's why they were in fear. Here's why they said, we can't do it. They saw the obstacle as massive, as powerful, as, you know, something un... Uh, you couldn't conquer it. Then they saw themselves as small and incapable. We're like grasshoppers. They're just going to step on us. And that's the way we see ourselves. And they think we're that way too. You want to know what the truth was? The people that they were talking about did not see them that way. We find out later. We mentioned it to you last week with, with Rahab. The people in Canaan's land and in Jericho, they heard the stories about Israel coming through the Red Sea and, how, and what they did to other, other nations. They were trembling in their boots. They were shaking. They were afraid of them. Yet these guys said, nope, they think we're little and we know we're little and we can't do it and they know it and we know it and we're not going. And they used that view of themselves as incapable to disobey God. God said, I've given you this land. Go get it. Go take it. And they said, we can't. I wonder, uh, I wonder how, many, how many things since then happen in individuals' lives where God gives them an amazing assignment, an opportunity, a, a position, and... People never fill it. They never take it. They never enjoy the benefits of it because they think themselves incapable. Someone told them, you're not smart enough. It might have been when they were like five years old and they can't shake it. And I know those things are powerful when they come from parents and teachers. I've had many people over the years tell me, yeah, a teacher told me when I was you know, just a little kid, that you're, you're, you're not smart. And they, but, uh, I mean, I feel bad for them that they were told that, but it's interesting, all these years, decades later, they still can't forget it. Now, don't do that to kids, but for us grown-ups, we have to make a choice. We have to say, God in me is greater than anything in this world. And he has enabled me. And I am no less than anyone else in Christ. I've been given the fullness of all his promise, promises and benefits. And like we said to you a couple of weeks ago, faith, is, faith levels the playing field. It doesn't matter our background. It doesn't matter where we came from. I can believe God just as much as anyone else. I can choose to be like these, you know, the, most of these spies or like Caleb. And just say, no, I can do this. I can overcome. I can rise up and conquer this situation in my life. They said they think we're grasshoppers, but that wasn't true. And so they refused to do what God told them to do. Think about how their, their unbelief manifested. Well, let, let, let me read the next two verses, then, we'll, then, I'll, then I'll say it. You can see some of it right here. It's 14 and 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness. This is how serious unbelief is. It gets so overwhelming to people that instead of walking into God's blessings, they cry, they complain, they speak against their leaders. It's just a whole boatload of negativism that, that comes from this unbelief. 
If you read a little bit further in, in chapter 14, they spoke of stoning um, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb were the two people that came out of there with faith. They're the ones that said, let's do it. We got this. And everyone else said, boo. <laughs> boo, Joshua and Caleb. Okay, watch now. Think that principle still exists today? That when someone wants to step out in faith, others try to squash it. Others try to talk you down to reality. You just need to learn to accept that you just have to live with this the rest of your life, whatever the this is. But if we've got a Bible promise, if we've got a word from God, then that voice, we know the origin of it. It is motivated in unbelief. It is motivated in fear. And if we yield to it, we're going to be the ones crying. We're going to be the ones complaining and calling other people names. We're going to be the ones picking up stones. Come on. We're going to be the ones. They even wanted to go back to slavery. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's be slaves again. Are you crazy? They're the ones eventually saying, I wish we could just die. We know that happens today. <clears throat> What's the root of it? I tell you, unbelief. Yeah. Unbelief will push someone so far. That's why we shouldn't entertain it. If we catch ourselves thinking small, thinking we can't, thinking we're incapable, uh, we should arrest our own mentality, our own thoughts, cast those thoughts down and say, no, 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 I am going to believe God. I am going to believe his word to me. I am going to obtain, to possess, to take hold of that which he's already given me. And just like he had given them the land, I tell you, he has given us much in Christ. There are so many benefits and blessings to being uh, with the Lord. You'll find even in Jesus' ministry. Remember that, if you know the story, that time he went to minister to that young girl and, and she had died. And, and Jesus said, ah, she's just sleeping. And so they all, want, they all mocked him. They ridiculed him. It's like they're obviously just paid to mourn or something. He goes up, raises her from the dead. But unbelief thinks that way. Unbelief likes to speak against those who actually have faith. Sometimes in a mocking way, oh, you're just one of those faith people. Uh, well, yeah, and that's bad how? It's the, way that, it's the only thing that pleases God. Let me say it this way, you can't please him without it. Praise God. And so if we ever find ourselves in disobedience, too much complaining, too much fear, recognize the source. We can be like these, or we can be like those who will rise up and say, no, I'm taking the land. You can take your healing. You can take your new job. You can take peace. Peace, that's peace in your home. You know, where there's fighting and stuff. You know how people fight in the homes? I mean, other people. <laughs> you don't have to have that. You can lay hold of, of, of a better life. You can say, we're going to have it. It is ours. We're taking possession of it. Come on. Amen, amen, amen. 
emotionally healthy children. You can, you can have it. It's the blessing of the Lord. Not, not living in fear of, of gas prices and inflation. We're not saying that it's not real. It is real. I'm not saying we like it. We don't. But what are we going to do? I think we have to make a choice. We have to make a choice and say, I am going to trust God. I am going to believe God. I am going to rely on His ability, not my ability to figure everything out. He will get more than I need into my hands. Well, I'm believing for the gas prices to go down. Well, I don't know if you should believe that. I don't know if you can control that with your own faith. But you can believe for God's provision. Amen. If you're not a giver, quick. Become one. Because it's the method of God's blessings in your life. Giving opens up the, the, the windows of receiving coming back to you. So we take every, we're not talking blowing things off. Oh, it's not real. We just kind of mock that. No, but we're not reverencing it either. We don't drive by the gas station and go, oh, Almighty gas station. <laughs> You are high and lifted up, and <laughs> the gas prices are more than enough. And <laughs> well, they are. So, but you can drive by and say, "God supplies all my need." Come on, Amen. And rev it up a couple times for fun. Burn a little extra. Come on. <laughs> Not going to be afraid. Not going to be concerned. Well, the grocery prices. Well, I'm having dessert tonight. Bless God. So you're making light of that. I'm making heavy of God. I mean that with all seriousness. Whether, whether you're, you're battling these things in your own life now or not, I don't know where everybody is. I'm saying what I just know we better learn to live by faith, not knowing what what you know lies before us in these regards hallelujah so we say we're well able why don't you say it with me say i believe that i am well able to overcome i believe god's word over any giant that i may face praise god praise god praise god let's pray today father thank you for working in here working in us Thank you for your spirit doing great and mighty things in our midst. Oh, we love you. We serve you with all that we are.